0: Welcome to the Imaginative Storm Twice Five Miles radio podcast where we always go twice five miles or more for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host James Nave. Thank you for tuning in. Always airing first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7 and streaming online WPVMFM.org The Voice of Asheville heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for a theme song. WalterParks.com if you want more of Walter's music. Thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVM-FM. And if you'd like to reach out to me, nave at jamesnave.com. Nave spelled N-A-V-E. I would love to hear from you. Today, the themes in this show will touch on water, walking along rivers, music, containment and expansion my guest is natalie kenzie i've known natalie for over 20 years she and i have had i can't tell you how many conversations around poetry and writing and expiration, and saying yes and being willing to stay open to whatever comes whatever appears in front of us And Natalie and I often cross paths. She lives in Asheville. I don't see Natalie all that much, but we do have some opportunities to connect on Zoom calls. And occasionally, when I come through Asheville, on my way to wherever I'm headed, Natalie and I will get together for a coffee, and sometimes our conversations go on for three, four hours. We don't even know the time has passed. And so today, I invited Natalie to come on the show and have another conversation with me, open-ended. We'll see where it goes, I said. And as you listen, you will find out where it goes. Where it starts, however, is Natalie picking up on some things I said prior to starting the recording, talking about my guitar playing. Here's Natalie Kinsey.
1: That piece that you said about the way each time you pluck a string, it causes a vibration. And that vibration has a an enduring effect on the instrument that's producing it. It's like this cyclical nurturing spiral experience, like a, a positive catch 22 or something. There's a lot of poetry in that noticing, you know, as a poet, I think when you hear people talking like, Oh, there's the poem for me in my head, I'll like that's where the poem is alive for them. That's where it begins. Or if they just started writing there, that's where it would crack for them. And mm-hmm. that for me is where that cracked of like, Oh, in my world my guitar is probably my children and my grandchildren the nurturance every time i've laughed with them every time we've we've gone deep and had a breakthrough or had some family healing the music that the family plays back into my own life gets sweeter and more distilled and the instrument is changed by the vibration of that of that string being plucked of of the deepening of the opening and so I I think that might be really an interesting inquiry for people of like what guitar is sitting on your bed? Where is that poetic nurturing cycle in your life? And like, because it can be kind of sweet to acknowledge it because it is interesting. Like in your mind, you're like, I don't put on my list of things that I need to do and I value. I don't put on that list the guitar on the bed because it's so much a part of of my essence that I don't, my mind doesn't even acknowledge it. It doesn't even, it, there's no box for me to put it on, but there's like an argument probably to be had that it's maybe like, I was thinking as you were like, as I saw it on the bed, I was like, you know, I think he thought the great love of his life was always going to be a woman. And plot twist, it's his father's guitar and the music that it plays back to him. Every time you talk about the guitar, there's this almost very lover-like, nearly overwhelming sense of tenderness and love that is evoking in you. It's like this sweet, innocent nave that I love that I, that that comes alive in our relationship as well. But it's like really delicious to see you so vulnerable and innocent with something. And, you know, sometimes you're like, I was with my guitar all day today, like almost like a girlish excitement of like, Oh, she's so delicious.
0: That's so true. In fact, as you were talking, I often, am surprised when I'm standing with my guitar playing it. I don't even know I've done it. It's just Mm -hmm. there. I pick it up and I play it and it's seamless like breath. Each guitar, it has its own sound quality, its own character, its own personality. They say that the seasoned musicians, Willie Nelson being one of them has a guitar called trigger. That's his guitar. And he's been playing trigger for, 50 years. And if you see the images of it, it has holes in it from where he's picked it and it's worn through the wood. It has a thousand signatures on it. The guitar has mm-hmm. its own sound no matter who plays it. And other people have said that about their guitars as well. And what I've noticed about this one, it's a big guitar, it's a steel string, Martin type guitar, Blue Ridge. And I don't play with a pick, I only strum with my thumb and my fingers. And I use the fleshy part of my thumb. I don't use fingernails. Sometimes guitar players will let their fingernails grow out and they use that as the pick. And I just strum really easy, like it was a misty rain falling down. It has a characteristic that matches that strumming. And I'm starting to notice it. It's saying songs that we'd never heard before. That's the feel of the guitar.
1: Yeah, it was occurring to me as I'm listening to you Something I think about a lot in my work and in my own self and in my just beingness, we get a lot of conditioning in the way we become a human. And that conditioning is usually against our innate nature. Usually it's sort of like a lot more restrictive and contractive. And people have to come awake to that. You and I have talked a lot about these different dynamics. And particularly, I think we've talked a lot, and maybe there's a lot more to say, around how a true moment with art with creativity will create a spaciousness that is necessary for your own innate voice to mindlessly begin to appear more fully on the scene of your own life because if your mind that's been conditioned tries to make room for your innate self it just doesn't happen that way because the mind will be like da. we're conditioned we're patterned this way these are our limiting beliefs this is where we this is who we should be And then there's this sweet little like tender baby doll inside, Nave, who's like, I just want to be with the music. I want to enter it. I want to love it. I want to let it undo me. I want to just be total with whatever this is because this is me. This is me. We can't even know that because it's like a really quiet, innate, wordless, unnamed, essential part of you. And as I've watched you sort of give yourself over into this spaciousness, I've watched you soften and the the rolling blue Ridge mountains of you, you know, your country boy essence just sort of naturally fall into way with your own existence. And it's this really like trustworthy, delicious evolution. And I'm just like noticing it's a space holder for the emergence of your essential self. In some ways, I feel like it diminishes the bigness and beauty of it to just name it. And I think it's also valuable for other creatives because I think we have a hard time trusting I know for me, I definitely do, you know, as a coach and a teacher, sometimes I'm like, all I wanna do is just go into the art, you know, like as a as a painter, you know, like a lot of people don't know, like I'm a, I'm a very deep and vivid painter. And sometimes I just wanna work on a mural and take my clothes off for days and, days and days and days and days and days, but then my mind's like, you gotta serve, you gotta help these people, you gotta do all this kind of stuff. And then I'm like, I just want a naked mural. It's all I wanna do. And there's like a real trust that you need to engender if you engage the thing that's really bright that you need to do, engaging it brings you to a new level. And the times when I do trust and go into the art and just get surrendered and rich and vulnerable with it and just let it work me naturally, then when I go back to the teaching or the coaching or the helping or whatever I'm doing, I'm so much more. It aligns me. It tunes my instrument. It, uh, something moved. Like I came in clear. You know what I mean? And so I think that it's a really rich very trusting, vulnerable process to stay in that fluid identity space. Cause I don't identify as a painter. You don't identify as a musician yet. It is profoundly essential to like the work that we do do in our life. And I think there's a sweet loving correlation that can be made there.
0: I'm thinking about a story. I read John Irving, I think wrote it. I don't remember really, maybe not John Irving in the story there was a character from India and I'm not sure if the story took place in India or if the character lived in New York, this character was a a bit of a mentor in the story and he had this happy, happy way of going about things. And so when you would ask him about his identity, which we talk a lot about, I don't identify as this. I identify as that. I have this identity. I'm a, I'm a poet. I'm not a musician. I'm a, factory worker. I'm not a a hang glider or whatever it
1: is. (laughs) I want to be a hang glider. Just want to put the side note in there.
0: So this guy, whenever you would ask him what he did, he would never tell you what he did. He would say, I'm busy being a driver. Mm. I'm busy being a food maker. I'm Mm. busy being a shoe putter on her. I'm busy mm-hmm. being a musician. So everything he did, he was busy being that
1: mm-hmm. rather than
0: I, I am this. This is my identity. Mm-hmm. When he stopped doing it, he was no longer busy being whatever it was he was doing, but he had not right. gone to the next thing. So his identity encompassed all these things he was busy being by doing. The memory I have most of what he was about was he seemed to really enjoy busy being whatever it was he was busy being. Never bothered him that it had a range from drudgery to joy. Right.
1: It wasn't bumping into some overarching dictatorial. I need to prove my identity because I'm this, you know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't bumping into that. I mean, like, there's so much wisdom in that it's nuts, right? Like there's so much spiritual teaching. There's like a lot of metaphorical teaching that like, we're actually brand new very often, like that essentially we're not continuously existing at a particle level, but that we keep blinking back in and there's profound, amazing, huge possibilities I went through a process where it's like, I'm 10 second nap. Who knows what I'm going to do next. Back then I did that. And that was 10 second nap. Like that was right for me then. And I had to engage that. And I just think like even engaging that awareness is like a great jackhammer to the part of you that needs to prove your identity by I'm a this, or I'm a that. Richard Rudd in the gene keys talk, talks about that as your anchor points. And the anchor points are the things that you clutch at and that you need to be defined by because you're not okay to exist without them. I'm busy being a friend in a Zoom call during an interview that maybe hasn't even happened or is maybe already done or maybe will never, you know what I mean? Like I'm busy being inside of this open moment. Now is all there ever will be. How busy being this can I be? Am I holding something back? Am I reserving something? I'm going to bring it all right here and be as busy being whatever is going on right now as I possibly can be because it's a service to myself and it's a service to what might happen. Like in collaboration, a lot of people hold back a lot of their paints, right? They're like, I'm only going to paint with one little color because i got to be on reserve case I run out. Plot twist, the more you bring to now, the more you can receive. It's a beautiful math.
0: That's why he was a mentor. And that's why even now I can't remember the title of the book, but I remember his happy busy being life and another character in literature was Zorba the Greek Mm. who was always busy being although he never said it he was just simply I am busy living and one of the great lines in Zorba the Greek Zorba the Greek's boss was always worried about Zorba and yet Zorba was really the boss of life and really the boss of the boss because the boss was younger and didn't quite know what to do so he always turned to Zorba but Zorba was always out sinning he was always out sowing the wildest oats he could sow, dancing what? into the latest night and yeah. loving the full moon and everything you do to the moon. One day his boss came to him and said, well, Zorba, I'm really worried about your soul. I'm really worried about your your eternal soul. I, 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 I don't know. What, what, what will you do when you die? And, and you have to atone for all of these sins that you're doing. And Zorba looked at his boss and said, Well, boss, uh, don't worry. Uh, when I die and I, I meet God, you don't have to worry. I'll forgive him.
1: <laughs> I I love that you gave Zorba the Greek a cowboy voice. <laughs>
0: well, you know. I only have a short range. <laughs> right. No, totally. That, that was my authority, authority voice, the cowboy would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so you have the, the character. From India, Busy Being, Zorba, too, was Busy Being. Most compelling characters, living and from literature, usually are Busy Being. Katniss Everdeen in The Hunger Games, she was always present. She was Busy Being in the moment. And that's why she could shoot the arrows so well, because you have to be able to release in order to hit.
1: Yeah, totally. I have a fantasy. It's not a genuine fantasy, but it's a fantasy of apocalyptic times because the series of absolute asks that a life situation like that is something that is very attractive to me. It brings out a whole new level of presence where you're just like, boom, boom, boom. And I really, I mean, I personally love joyful busyness. That really works for me. I love to be engaged in things that I am clear about. Even if that busyness looks like sitting down for an hour to meditate, but I'm all with that. And I'm like, Ooh, that sounds delicious. I really want to be with myself. I want to make some space for contemplation around this. Cause I think that something here is moving, but I really love that all in tone of beingness where I'm really clearly with whatever now is. It's a playfulness because there's a lot of curiosity. It's like, ooh, I'm just going to really be with this and enter this. Someone asked me recently, they were having a big shindig and, and had a hard time. And a lot of people canceled on them. And they're like, I need 10 people or I need a Natalie. Can you come throw down? And I was kind of bored with myself. I was trying to finish a project and all my energy's like, and I'm like, yeah I'm coming and I go to the farm and I just start bossing people around and getting them going and harvesting and had a day of and it felt so good you know it was like superhuman like I brought out the part of me that can inspire people and galvanize things and bring a lot of energy so people were suddenly they were all like and then suddenly they were like yes I can see the vision and I can go towards it it was a hell yes ask and then I came home crushed the project that I'd been like, kind of about for like basically a week. And in an hour, I was like, Oh dude, this has got to go delete that, move that. Oh, done. Earlier in that little, like little withering project, what was alive in me? If I was to do a check on like what I was doing was I'm not really interested in this right now. I have to finish this. I'm a bad person for not having finished it or, you know, there's this like really cruddy resistant split dialogue that was keeping that presence. Cause we're saying be present, but I believe there is a presence that emerges from the divine when we open those gates in a full way. And so there's getting out of the way of it. And then suddenly I had access to the clarity that that presence brings And I think that what we're talking about is having a playfulness and a curiosity about how we can make room in our life to be with that presence, to be influenced and delighted by and filled up by and play with. It's sort of like a a continual lowering of the rigid ego gates to make space for that presence to be delightful.
0: I know exactly what you mean. And I take that delight in cleaning the room. I was sorting out some of the stuff here in my place. And I have a cabinet and the cabinet was dirty because it hadn't been used. And I thought I'll, I'll store some stuff there. So there were some paint cans in the cabinet and I moved each little paint can up to the top shelf. And then I came to the next one and moved it up to the top <laughs> shelf and organized these little paint cans that nobody would look at for another year or two, maybe or longer. Right. I thought that was just absolutely great. Look at all those little paint cans on the top shelf. And then I clean the shelves and then put the other stuff in. I look over there at the shelves. They're they're completely closed now. Nobody knows what's behind them, but I take great satisfaction in that. What I'm reminded of now in this conversation about being present and being in that moment, I now have a little bit better insight into why I get somewhat confused when people ask me how I identify Mm -hmm. Because I am somewhere in my psychology. I'm following that. I'm busy being a dishwasher. And that 10 second Mm -hmm. Mm nap, I'm a dishwasher now, but I will be a poem writer in 10 minutes. And then I will be a conversationalist in another hour with you. I will be an editor. I will be a this. I will be a person sitting in the sun.
1: For me, that conversation really comes alive with the river metaphor. And it's interesting you're saying this because I went on a long walk with a friend recently, and we were talking about my middleest human is very excited to have neutral pronouns and being exploratory and playing around with identifying they're female born, but they don't identify as being a woman that feels really off to them. And so this is really important for them. And they're on the leading edge of cracking open assumptions about like, if you have breasts, that means you should be pretty. And you know, all these kind of assumptions that are really contractive, right? So they're on the leading edge of that. And they're so inspiring and awesome that they're doing that because I think we all have like little side quests or core missions in our heart where when we're really being real about ourselves fully expressing that does good things in the larger world it opens conversational space it opens permission someone sometimes someone's really raw or honest about something i want to be more honest about that in me you know what we have this natural inspiring thing that happens but what happens w- when i'm hanging out with them sometimes is we'll get really deep in the sweetness. We'll get really, really lost. And then I start referring to them as she again, because that's what's in my brain at a deep, deep level, how I've known them for 21 years. The part of my mind that's tracking their identity shifts goes away. I'm no longer there. I'm no longer in that mind tracking place. And I just go into a more essential place. In my work and in my life, I'm basically aiming towards being in the center of river of life the flow of life is carrying me i am surrendered to it i feel really clearly inspired i feel kind of steadily connected with divine energy it's not a blip in and out And then there's the briars on the side of the river that I sometimes get into. And that's where like contrast inspires me and brings clarity and shows me my humanity and like maybe doesn't feel that great, but it's super important to being a merged human. One of the reasons we came here was for the way those briars inspire moreness in our own beingness. Our, Our soul gets bigger in those moments, right? All really important part of the dance. I find that when I'm in the middle of the river, I have a very difficult time with all conversations around identity, because in order to get there, you sort of have to pay the token of excessive identification with anything, because you have to become more of the allness in order to be in the middle of the river like that. You can't hold on to those I need to be in that little box, but in a merged human experience, I can't exist without some of those identities because when I'm in the brambles, I need some safety to hold myself while I grow through that, while I experience the contrast. And so for me, sometimes I I know you and I've talked a lot about love and relationships. You know, I have a crush on being polyamorous and, and a relational anarchist, but the reality of my emotion between being in the center of the river where we're all the silvering sweet breeze of love being poured through. Let's just hold hands, make love and be everything. Then I come back to like hitting jealousy or something contractive. And I'm, I can't be open to everything all at once. This is really killing me. So like, it's been a real vulnerable dance, seeing myself in the openness and trying to exist as in polyamory and relational anarchy, right? Where there's like very little identification and a lot more beingness. And then being really tender and gentle with myself and saying, I actually don't know how to fucking exist like that sustainably yet. There are patterns and and challenging little human parts of me that are coming online. And that conversation, I think, is one of the most important human paradoxical conversations we can have about the balance between that openness and being with all with divine energy and all with source and flow, who we are in that, and then who we are when we're less open and less merged and less with the river of life flowing through us. And we're just a little bit like more human ratio going on. And what do we need in that time? And there's like a self-tenderness. I would almost identify that I could be that open and it wasn't gentle or self-considering of the part of me that can't sustain that all the time, that needs to be like, I'm just sad and I don't even know why. And I just, ah, you know, and, and like, what do I need then? Then I need a monogamous relationship. To That question's really alive for me
0: right now. Well, it always is for me as well. And I think about the requirements other people have for other people. Mm -hmm. So one person might come to me and say, I want you to call me by a new name. I want you to recalibrate the way you have known me in my identity going forward. I want you to do this, 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 and this. And when you refer to me, I want you to do these kind of references, rather than the references you've done for the past 20 plus years. When you pull back a little further from that and think about how we are each a village. So if, in fact, we contain multitudes, as Walt Whitman said, and I think that's probably true, we have multiple personalities, we have different characters living inside of us, I have my public persona, my private persona, my in the shower persona, my yard raking persona. I'm busy being a yard raker. So I have a certain kind of persona. I'm busy Mm. being a, a tomato gatherer. I have a certain kind of character. So if in fact we do have all this multiplicity existing within us, are we not a village Are we not Mm -hmm. a country? Mm -hmm. Are we not a territory unto ourselves? Because we have all this multiplicity. So when you come to visit me in my territory, or I come to visit you in your territory or in your house, you have a certain set of village rules. So if I'm arriving at your house, then I want to be respectful of your village rules. Mm-hmm. And if you're arriving at my house, you, one would hope, would be respectful of my village rules. So if I come into your village and you say, well, I am this, 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 and this, and you are in my village, I make an effort to conform to whatever your rules are, whatever Mm -hmm. your customs are. So Mm -hmm. when you come to mine, one would think you would make an effort to conform to my customs. If you come to my village and you demand I conform to your customs while you are in my village, that's breaking the global world traveler protocol of going to a village and trying to ask that village to do what you think they should do rather than how they're operating. And so in some ways in that request that so often people have requests to be treated certain ways and to be spoken of in certain ways all of the time Is really rather demanding for people who have a, a whole different view of the world to ask that person to really change their view of the world to accommodate the other person. And vice versa, it works both ways. And I hadn't really thought about that until just now.
1: Like I'm imagining going into the village, how easily it would, yo, what's your run here? I'm all for it. Like I am clearly entering your village I'm not of it I don't know anything so I'm just all the way open how do you want to be treated how do I honor your humanity like these core questions are just obviously there I would be very interested in them immediately I do not want to be assumptive I don't want to take my assumptions and dishonor you so I would be very very clear with that there would be no well why do you want to be called king Nutnuts? that's stupid I wouldn't be that way I'd be like king Nutnuts. it is All praises be, King Nut Nuts. And what the intention around that is intimacy. I want to have intimacy with them. And so honor and respect and curiosity and openness and playfulness, it it all nurtures a space where we can be intimate. I'm coming here to this village to have deep experience, to know maybe I was called from a divine vision. Maybe something called me here and I want to have intimacy with that calling. And so honoring and showing up what container holds this game of intimacy and, and not having a lot of like moralistic assumptions. King nut nuts is wrong. No one should ever be called King nut nuts. So it breaks the intimacy when you have that moralistic judgment assumption around it. And so for me, there's like a fluidity because it's that village, in my worldview, we live in an infinitely expansive universe. And, and that expansive nature is, is picking up. The, this sense of movement and growth and, and expansiveness is actually increasing. And so for us to go into anyone's village with an assumption like this is the village you were, it's the same one. Our fundamental approach to relational interactions doesn't have that fluid curiosity about like, yo, you're 10, 10, 10 seconds, King Nut Nuts, who are you now? Or that, you know, we don't have like kind of an ongoing capacity for playfulness and openness around that. You know, someone says they change, we take it personally. Oh, you changed. You're different. What does that mean for me? I feel left behind. I feel triggered. I feel da, 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 da. And then all of a sudden intimacy has gone. Curiosity has gone. We're not playing with the now. That trigger just took us to when we were eight and our best friend said, I need to move to Idaho. And you're like, It's because you don't love me. I'm now alone. I can't deal with my, you know, whatever. Like we've lost the present moment and that's fine. Like you can't help if you're triggered, you're triggered, whatever. There's like no judgment on that. It's just noticing when, where we are not free to accept and enjoy the intimacy parameters of someone else's village as they understand it in a fluid way. And to be, and to also like own our own, you know, for me, like boundary settings be really difficult because I always understood it to be restriction and contraction. And now I think of it more like a riverbed allows the river to go where it needs to go. And the riverbed isn't every stone in the universe. It it doesn't have a lot of trees in it. Like a riverbed is specific to get the river to where it is supposed to go, where it's true path is. So I've come to think of personal boundaries as what is in my riverbed that allows this river to go.
0: Such an interesting image. Even the most raging river is dramatically constricted, and that's why it's raging. Yeah.
1: Right. Yes. Yes.
0: It's not free.
1: Beautiful. Come on. We came here in our human experience to be importantly limited. And I think there's like an idiocy to not just enjoy and acknowledge that. I say there's infinite potentiality in the world, but the way that we express as a human is beautifully limited so that we can dance and taste that limitlessness. And I think a lot of people are still really fighting the joy of that innate limitation. Like for me, I'm like 500 years of my evolution. I will be a polyamorous joy slut with everything, including trees, right? But in this life expression, with my current limitedness, that doesn't work. It does I get lost in the sauce and I don't have the deep deep presence in the sacred deep intimate. I can't do the work and give the energy to be in everyone's village of what they need for love and who they are and who they are now and who are they are evolving. I can't show up for the fullness of that conversation with everyone and have it be really really true. Right? You and I have shown up for each other's village over time and and endured, you know, a lot of like wow, you and I had a really difficult conversation recently on like we've grown, we've changed. What are the rules of your village? I don't think I'm up to date with them and my heart needs to hear that so I can be intimate with your ass. We can keep being soul brother and sister, keep loving each other, showing up for each other. And I think that that's a really juicy work that I am now acknowledging. I am limited in how much of that I can do in my human experience, do fully. I am busy showing up for the deep intimacy of our true love, right? That's a fullness. I don't have unlimited amount of that in my life. And so there's like a sweet, self-loving acknowledgement to that limitation.
0: Really interesting confinement limitation and expansion. We create things by way of developing structures that limit rather than structures that just go out into emptiness. We started as infants in the womb. So limited. The the newborn, where are you going to go? Can't do anything. I just float around in here until I I come out. And then you come out, and everything is brand new, and all of it is expansion, expansion, expansion. But as you look around, if you stayed in that expansiveness and never understood what you were looking at, eventually just short circuit, you couldn't do it. Right, right. So we confine ourselves. In the joy of our existence. Yeah. And so we're celebrating confinement. And within that confinement, you are able to expand. So when one says confinement, coming back to the raging river, I mean, the Amazon river is so wide at the mouth of the ocean where it enters the, the Atlantic Ocean, you cannot see the bank. Mm. It's as wide as the Great Lakes. It's huge, mm-hmm. miles and mm-hmm. miles and miles of the river. So even mm-hmm. the river in its confinement is so expanded that you yeah. don't know it's confined.
1: That's so beautiful. That's that's delicious. My, my, my soul just really liked feeling how I felt standing in my mind at that river and, and not even being able to see its confinement but honoring the beauty of that. And I think my mind goes to the part of understanding our own humanity that could be termed like understanding your personality framework. And I think about through gene keys and human design, I've talked to you a lot about this, but like, it, it was really mind blowing, literally. Like it blew a lot of doors that were shut in my mind and heart opening to understand that we chose riverbeds to contain the river of ourselves for this human expression in this dance. And that when you calm down, cool, what did I choose? Like some of us chose to be very broad like that Amazon that you can barely see the other bank. And we're here to take in a ton, you know, I'm one of those. Like I take in a ton of life experience ask me about my stories. As many times I've literally died. Like there's so much human experience I have had. So many kids, grandkids, like just lived a big, 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 big experiential life. And then my work, my teaching, my, what I bring has that hugeness in this and a huge acceptance of like, baby, we came here to play, get in the game. Like I get that. I came here to embody that, right? Not everybody came here. Some people have very deep, 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 deep waters. And you have to slow down to be with them because they live in the deep 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 places and when you start to get curious about that and stop expecting just because i have a wide riverbed just because i'm here for like giant experience and to help people remember y'all it's safe to play the game of life i had to live a life in which i could really understand and embody that in order to bring that to the world if i expect everyone to do that that's an idiocy and we do that we assume just because these are my village rules they're yours too no they're not i'm here i want to have intimacy with you village i've never visited What are the beautiful wisdoms? What is the grace and love that you know about yourself? I'm so curious, let's bring our rivers together. Let's have a river dance. When you accept your own riverbank and you love it and you see how it has allowed your river to tumble just right and so gloriously, you can afford that courtesy and that generosity to the other person's limitations too. When they say, I can't do this. I don't think this is a place I can go. You can say, wow. I love that. Beautiful. I get that. We can honor each other's beautiful limitations that basically they're saying, for whatever reason, I don't have the context. I don't have the container for that. And instead of being like triggered, like, oh, you can't go there with me. You're not da da da. You can be like, oh, cool. What a beautiful truth. And then if you have a need in yourself or a desire to have that experience with someone, well, there's a different river bank, a different rivers. You don't have to try to get people to change to meet yourself because you've kind of accepted that this beautiful limitation is right. And I know for me, and I think you've probably had this experience. I've tried to be like, Ugh, I really want you to be the one to have this experience with me. I really want you to be available for this. I want you to change every time, every time, every time I have ever, 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 ever gone in that territory. I have taken myself and the other person off path. It is the opposite of courtesy, generosity or grace. It's destructive.
0: That's so, so true. And as we're thinking of the rivers and as we're talking about the rivers, I think of the many times you and I have visited over the years. And so often we have been by a river, the French Broad River in Asheville, the river ups, rivers up near Burnsville, a lake.
1: East Fork of the Pigeon River falling out of the Blue Ridge.
0: All that. Thinking about the confinement that the river enjoys, And thinking about the river itself, and now I'm thinking of the French Broad River, and I'm thinking of the French Broad River when I was a very young lad, and my grandfather would drive me to Bent Creek, near where the parkway is now, just beyond the parkway going toward Brevard. You can stop and overlook the river. Even now, there are river rafting companies along the way, some picnic tables. And I remember going with my grandfather. He smoked cigars, stood by that river when I was young and watched the chemical islands of foam floating down the river. And Mm. the river was brown. All of the plants further up the river dumped their waste into the river. The river was dangerous, really, Mm -hmm. and the banks were brown, so nothing lived on the banks Mm. because of the pollution. Now, that's different now. We all know that you can go raft in the French Broad River in Asheville, and it goes to Tennessee and on down to the Mississippi, et cetera, et cetera. When a river is healthy, the confinement, its banks, expresses a vitality. The trees are lush. The birds, the animals are all happy along the bank, which is not their confinement. The river's confined right. by the bank. Right. So, when you have a healthy river and you're within your confinement, you go beyond it even. Yeah. So, you're adding to what is beyond your confinement, even within your confinement.
1: Like there's an auric experience. You know, if you're around someone who's at peace with their riverbank, they're nurturing. To those in the environment, the the green, the the, the beautiful bushes, the plant life, the butterflies, the dragonflies, they're climbing out and emerging in this birth cycle. You're in that energy. You know, you're in the auric energy. And when you go into the human design and the gene keys, you will discover someone's auric signature. For me, my auric signature is presence. When I'm in a clear way, and I am enjoying the limitations of my personal river, and I'm at peace with it, I can inspire in other people a deep sense of presence, and I bring that to my own existence. I think yours is beauty. I can't remember. I think it's beauty. The beauty of being really transparent to the essence of life in your own creative engagement. Those are the flowers and the beautiful proofs, that sort of sense of being in harmony with it. I'm beginning to work directly with teenagers and young teens because I've worked for a long time with families in family dynamics with the kids. But then I started to think if I can get to the kids directly, you know, before it's gotten all discordant and so far out that there's so much pattern to uncover and so much to decondition around My own riverbank, first of all, comes alive when I can work that directly with the younger energy because they haven't been talked too much out of the fact that their riverbed is beautiful and perfect. And if I can start to help them have some, I call it self-assurance, I think self-assurance comes from accepting. The deep and beautiful and wise limitations of your own riverbed. So you can settle in and do the river work, the river love, the river play that you intended to do here. And so there's a lot of joy and simplicity around that. I think it gets really complicated for a lot of people. But for me, there's just this sort of quiet self acceptance that brings the joy of self assurance. Because when you're around a person who's self assured, first of all, it's easy to be around them because their riverbed. And their understanding and joy of it gives them a kind of innate confidence and they will naturally set true boundaries. Kind of like someone's car alarms on 10. And if you get within a hundred miles of them, it goes off. You're like, I don't think that's a true boundary. I think that's a reactive, you're still super traumatized, you're still working through stuff. Awesome. That's cool, but you can't be intimate. Intimacy happens when someone is in accord and peace with their own riverbed.
0: And when you think about the riverbed and the harmony and the health of the river. And then you go up on that bank, the healthy bank, and then you come back around to this idea of polyamory, mm-hmm. which really, when you get right down to it, means the ability to love on many different levels. Mm-hmm. Poly, many, amour, much love, polyamory, so often has been narrowed to sexuality. Right, right. And it's used as a code for different approaches to sexuality with different people, which is a legitimate use of the term. Sure. it a bit, though. And we are by nature delivered to this world to love people in many, many, many different ways and express our love and our caring in many, many different ways. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's sexual. Sometimes it's caring, caring by just way of showing up with a piece of pie at the doorstep, saying, here, I was thinking about you. And when we Mm. think, when we start to think of love, I would like to propose love is confined to the infinite universe, unlike Mm. the river, which has a confinement. The river, the confinement makes the river. The banks make the river.
1: I think of us, our river banks allow us to accommodate the a portion of the grand river so like mm. we're all little tributaries right and it allows us to hold it and embody it and and allow it to push through our own filter and experience for the joy of expansion and moreness and experience so that that's all part of the game right just, i just have a hit on what you're talking about So in my past, relationally, I have been a person in relationship who has oscillated between being someone who's had a car alarm on a hundred because I have unmet parts of myself that I was unwilling to feel or just like be like, wow, I need to be sad about that. Just to let the energy move and come into its proper hum, pushing that down or whatever, that sort of repression because I had unmet places in myself that I hadn't accepted or nurtured or been like, oh, that happened. And I was carrying a secret charge, right? Which can make you really wobbly to be around. So as I've come to get good with that in myself, that's also allowed me to have very little car alarms going on about other people too. You know, I can be in the presence of someone who has a total freak down and I'm just like, oh, you're meeting a part of yourself It's coming online. It's making you a little twisty and excited right now, or it's making you want to push everyone away. I get that. I don't have to leave my riverbed. I don't have to go crazy. And so I'm just noticing that the more accord and peacefulness we have around our riverbed, the more wisdom we will have about what the right proximity and intimacy is for ourselves within the lover of life context. I'm not talking about romantic lover, being a lover with what Whitman lover, lover of the universe. Like I lay down on the grass, she is my lover, right? That kind of energy, which is really interesting because one of my personal practices this last year has been becoming romantic with my own existence. Taking the onus of romance out of unintentionally addictive lover, I want to experience that kind of romantic energy. So I need a lover to help me experience it. And it's like, what? I want to feel inspired and sexy about life itself. I want that dance to be a honey that I put in all my tea. You know, like I don't want it to be localized to one little human. That's never going to work. Like I have a big thirst for being romantic with life. And so it's been delicious to meet my own desire to romance life and have life romance me and to feel wooed. And I'll hear the chimes and and a big whimstorm. And I'll feel like a lover is calling me out into the night and I'll like race outside and just like let the wind like ravage me and just be like, oh, like it's so alive. And like, it's so delicious. And I feel like Capping that romantic thriving energy in one little tiny relationship has been a massive disservice to how big my riverbed is and how romantic and yummy I actually like to be with all of life. And it was like I was sort of killing my lovers. They were like, no way can I be all the windstorms and the oceans for you, baby. And it's like, yeah, that's okay. It's wrong for me to assume or want you to be that. And that's been a great personal Softness and excitement for me, and it's helped shift. It's a little bit back to what you're talking about with being we're all innately polyamorous at some deep level. And right now, the universe is one of my biggest lovers.
0: And so often, people confine themselves to these definitions. Here we are back to identity Mm -hmm. rather than I am busy being. Mm. I am busy being in love with the wind. I am busy being in love Mm. with the wind chimes. I am busy being in love with the silence in the room. And the broader you go with that, the more generous it becomes. The more opportunities you start to see, like, I am loved by my simple existence. All things are equal in this embrace that we can so easily experience by simply looking around. Now I am not saying that I have mastered this. But
1: you no. never master it because when you stop being a student of life, there's a sort of rigidity that happens because this curiosity and playfulness. Can I tell you like a little brief story that sort of pulls this together a little bit? So I got invited to um, go be with the river with a, a friend, and you know there, there could be lover energy. Just a backstory. So we go to the river, and I'm starting a fire. They're going to go do a river immersion, and I'm having a conflict because I'm hearing the river and this is my beloved river. Like the South toe is like one of my best people. I have this deep, visceral connection with her. She saved my life. You know, I went and immersed in her in years, helped me heal from Crohn's, all this kind of like huge, like soulmate friendship with her. And I'm by the fire with this person and I hear the river. Oh, uh, I just want to go to the river. It was just like call. And I just was frank with this person. I was like, I really want to just go be with the river. And start. And they're like, awesome, I'm gonna be here. So I just take my shoes off and it's raining and I walk to the river and I walk through the cold river and I find this flat place to sit and I sit down and I get this immediate jolt in my body and I just start crying. And I'm like, oh, what am I, why am I just crying without any thoughts? What is happening to my body, you know? And then I heard in my mind kind of a voice say, I want you to sing. Okay. <laughs> And we start singing and singing and singing. And I realize I'm doing a jazz set. I'm singing all those old torch songs. I'm singing, you know, night and day. And I'm singing like there's all the presidents and kings in the world. I'm singing with everything I have. And I sing for about a half hour. I don't know. I'm just singing and singing and singing. And I realize that this energy, this sentient divine energy, this river god, was asking for tribute from my heart and that our connection, we have a love affair, was wanting some kind of participation from me. And I wept and the catharsis that I received from that collaboration cleaned me out. I was all the way new. And then I was quiet when I went back to the fire. There's nothing left to say in a human way. I had sung every transgression. It was this transmutation that happened by just listening to this relationship that I have that isn't limited to the human form. It's, it's, it's with an entity. It's with a natural wild force. And it was this pure showing up for a very profound love affair that's always been so important to me. But the more I dig in and listen, the more value of that incredible lovership emerges in me. It's very interesting because it is not coming from any identity mind places. I have never considered having a river as a lover right um but what's really interesting actually is that after i had that experience i was listening to a podcast on the way home not from that experience maybe a couple of days later and it was about a concept called ecosexuality it's it's amazing the way we have access to the emergence of newness a next level stuff so it's just interesting that i had that experience because i didn't have any concept of that experience it was just this really profoundly true experience and very cathartic, very real, very good for me kind of experience. And then I heard these two beautiful women who have been activists in different way, and they have a sense that Ecosexuality is this idea that you consider the earth to be your lover at a very profound level. And you wanna like bury your hands in her and how good that actually is for everything. The lovers that we give a cord to, we treat very well. We we woo, we would never hurt. We would never pour chemicals in and kill her banks, right? We have a deep, deep reverence. And so I love that my body's revealed to me an innate lovership that I think we all have at some deep level. Like that's what transcendentalism was with Emerson and Thoreau. They were like, look at and be deep and sensual with nature and she will reveal to you the right patterns for you. Sit by a riverbank and it'll help awaken your own wisdom around your own riverbank at this. But I think there's a deeper layer. To bring the energy and sacred reverence that you do to a lover. Like I have this phrase when I'm working with people, it'll give you a heart boner. Your heart will be like, Ooh, like just like this turned on heart centered yumminess. When you talk about pros or going out on a walk or being with the Blue Jays, you're really turned on by that raw natural experience. And I think there's just really a yumminess and an expansiveness and we can apprentice ourselves to human love through that essential lovership with this natural world.
0: Apprentice yourself to the natural world and become a better partner, lover, mate to another human. Yeah. Here we are back to the universal. I mean, we are hardly removed from our environment. We exist in it so much. Back to Zorba the Greek, dancing under the moon.
1: He was at peace with his own riverbed and saying, I am listening to the wildlife shenanigans that keep my spirit merged in this human body. Because if you reject your riverbed, you are not inhabited. You, you don't let that spirit be fluid and flowful and generative. And so I think that there's an accord, a peacefulness. I'm like, this is my riverbed as best as I can know it and experience and love it. The river keeps moving. You're going to get to another part of the riverbed that you'll know more as you become more, as you let the river fill you more. There's a curiosity, like we talked about with that village metaphor. What do you know now? Maybe a village had a giant storm come through it, and there's a whole different set of protocols and needs. You know, maybe someone had someone die, or they had cancer. Their needs are so different now of how they need accord and generosity, grace, and the best, most generous assumption we can give someone. And so there's like this beautiful fluidity that comes in with these
0: metaphors. Beautiful fluidity of the metaphors. Well, that's what we've been talking about for the last hour. And as much as I would like to go on with our conversation natalie i just realized we're getting very very close to the top of our time together the top of the hour so if you don't mind i would just like to close on the beautiful fluidity of metaphors and say thank you ever so much for being part of the imaginative storm podcast series
1: oh it was a pleasure thank you for having me nave
0: and there you go my friends my conversation with natalie kenzie A conversation i've been having for many years like i said it's always a pleasure to talk to natalie and i'll have her back again i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did and i hope you have gotten something out of the idea of containment and expansion if there's a river nearby Take a little bit of time to walk along the river or around a lake or wherever you find a body of water. Listen to what the river has to say. Listen to what the water has to say. Listen to what you have to say. And I would also like to thank you so much for tuning in to the Imaginative Storm Twice Five Miles radio podcast. I'm your host James Nave, and we always broadcast this show first on WPVM LP Asheville, 103.7, and stream it online, WPVMFM.org. The Voice of Asheville heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI Cultural Energy Radio coming out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you Walter Parks for our theme song. WalterParks.com for more of Walter's music. Thank you Davine Dial for managing WPVMFM. I appreciate that so much, and if you'd like to reach out to me, nave at jamesnave.com. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. And with a couple of minutes we have left, I'd like to close by offering you a poem from my new book, 100 Days. It's a book about my recovery from surgery. And it took 100 days to get back on my feet. And I started with um, the first poem after surgery, which is the one I'll do now. Started on April 1st and, and I woke up in the hospital room and here's what I wrote. I was still whole, so little gone from my body, groggy after going in and out of morphine's sleep. I looked around my hospital room, clock on the wall, 8.30 a.m., blue curtains covered the door. Last night I was warm and felt no pain. Tish slept beside me in a chair. I gave myself over to being loved, a miracle we all deserve. What a strange, strange relief it was to breathe, to feel my mouth so dry, all I wanted was ice. And after each poem in this book, 100 Days, I include a question, a prompt, a writing prompt. So here's the prompt after the first poem, titled After Surgery. Now here's your prompt. How do your losses translate into insight, self-awareness, and wisdom? As you can tell, these are very short poems, so we have time to close it out with the second poem, which I wrote on the second day. How thunder runs, restless on clean sheets. I woke from the second night of my hospital stay, thinking of how thunder runs through everyone's life—not lightning, thunder, the boom, an expression of emergence. Last night I dreamed a friend pulled me from the sea. Thunder rumbled. I woke, looked out the window, and realized that thunder has a pearl-like quality. Every boom is singular, like explosions you hear in a war zone. But that's not thunder. That's the sound of a whale with a broken back. My back is not broken. There are no wars here. And the prompt? What makes your back stronger? So those are the first two poems out of my new book. There are 98 more poems It goes through 100 days Which is the title of the book It is a book laid out like poetry And yet it's really a memoir You can write a very short memoir About a very short period of time A weekend, 100 days A three day period, a growing season Whatever you want to write about Regardless, I hope you answer those questions And I do hope you tune in again Sometime soon And until then, I'll catch you on that turnaround Somewhere down the line